Hello and welcome back to our podcast, Where Do I Know Them From? Officially in its third season, where we are going to be watching all of the movies of Tessa Thompson and reporting back to you, our loyal listeners. Yeah, and this is our 50th episode too. Very exciting. You'll notice that I have done the introduction for this episode, which means that Alexandra has our Letterboxd reviews today. Super fun. Yes, I do have some excellent Letterboxd reviews. And honestly, I had a great time researching this movie. I can tell. Uh, Mostly because not a lot of people liked it. Two stars. Watching this when I was 10 was the reason I was never a babysitter as a teenager. Yeah. Relatable. Yeah. I personally babysat, I think, exactly one time. And if I had seen this movie, it would have been zero. I babysat a bunch, but nobody ever tried to break into my house. They only yelled at me and asked me to give them more fruit snacks. And those were just the parents. But I'm bumps. Maybe that would have been a better horror movie, honestly. (laughs) 1.5 stars. If a stranger called me, I simply would not answer. I'm just built different. Okay, honestly, that's one of my complaints about this. (laughs) But we'll get into that. And finally, two stars. TBH, I probably wouldn't mind Tommy Flanagan stalking and trying to kill me. This was still an extremely scary horror movie because I hate talking (laughs) on the phone, though. I really like that review. That one's probably my favorite. The whole time that this guy is in the movie... I just was expecting Tim Robinson. I have no idea why, but his silhouette Tim looks exactly the same. And I was like, this is going to be an oh elaborate, I think you should leave. Oh my gosh. Bit. Okay. He looks exactly the same. It's the yeah, ears. It's how far fair. the ears stick out. Their silhouettes that's look fair. exactly the same. Well, this movie was When a Stranger Calls. Specifically, it is the 2006 remake of the original 1976 horror movie of the same name this will become a theme yeah this will become a theme <laughs> themes detected early on in tessa's work Shitty remakes it was directed by simon west who is kind of famous for action films and it was screenwritten by jake wadewall who has done a lot of horror movies it was also edited by jeff bettencourt who has also done a lot of horror movies the cinematography is by peter menzies jr ain't no way ain't no way that man's last name is menzies why what's wrong with that i <laughs> It's silly. It does sound kind of whimsical. <laughs> it sounds like slang for periods. Yes, that too. Like. There are actually like Tobias Menzies is an actor, so there's like multiple people with this last name in Hollywood. The Menzies fortune, the me- the heir to the Menzies name. I don't know if they're related. That's but amazing. They do have the same last name. Iconic. But it was filmed in Canada and California. Like I said, it is a remake of Steve Feek and Fred Walton's 1976 horror movie by the same name. Specifically, it's a remake of the first 23 minutes of the original movie. So the original movie is split into like a 23-minute segment, which is just the plot of this movie. And then the following like hour of the original movie occurs seven years later. And I have to say, having just watched the original movie, the original movie is way better. That's honestly so bonkers because I would argue that this movie was too long. So like the idea of whatever. Yeah, I think that... Since the entire plot of this movie originally happened in 23 minutes, it kind of felt like it could have been shorter because a lot of the movie, we just see her like pick up the phone and put the phone back down. Yeah. Which does build tension, but is boring to watch for two hours, you know? Yeah. But originally they had a plan to have a remake of the second hour of the original movie. It was going to be called When a Stranger Returns, but that didn't happen. They like didn't get the funding for it. This is one of the many drawbacks of having the audacity of a straight white man is you just believe that someone is going to want 87 more minutes of your 22 minute extended cut i will say that the original movie the 1976 movie does already have a sequel called when a stranger calls back 
No way. Or When a Stranger Calls again. And it's like a silly name. The fact that this has a remake at all and that they were going to make a sequel, just watch the original one. We literally just got Saw 10. I don't know how you can say that. We live in a world where remakes don't happen. They just made a 10th Saw movie. I honestly have never seen any of the Saw movies and I don't intend to. Well, don't worry. There's 10 of them. There's also 10 Fast and the Furious movies. There's like a gazillion Scream movies. This movie was 87 minutes long and I felt most of them. 87 minutes is a little less than four times as long as the original 23 minutes that it's based on. And I really think that maybe they could have gone with like an hour movie, you know, like keep it short and sweet. Yeah, I don't know. No comment. The major actors are Camilla Bell, who plays Jill, the main character, Jill Johnson. Tommy Flanagan plays the stranger, although he is voiced by Lance Henriksen. So Tommy Flanagan actually just plays a shadow and he gets one shot of his face on screen. Not even. That's crazy to me. I like I know that they do this all the time. But imagine not even only being threatening in presence, you know? It's like Darth Vader. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually exactly what I was going to say. I just honestly, like, I could not imagine playing a shadow and very briefly your a face shadow is on that screen. looks like Tim Robinson. I guess technically his body. He's in the movie for a lot of the movie, but it it's not around. like anyone is going to recognize him from when a stranger calls. Yeah. yeah. Brian Barrett, plays Bobby, who is Jill's kind of boyfriend not quite sure he's not a major character katie cassidy plays tiffany madison who shows up briefly only to get murdered clark gregg plays ben johnson her dad who we know from all marvel movies basically he's a calming presence he'll become a major collaborator for tessa thompson who has been in so many marvel movies tessa plays scarlet who is another friend of jill's and is basically a negligible presence she's in like two minutes of the movie also, allegedly, Diana Agron is in this movie as cheerleader, although I did not see her. Yeah, I don't believe that for a second. Honestly, to go back to Clark Gregg for a second, he's really the poor man's Ray Fiennes. I truly, every time I see him, I'm like, yes, good, whatever is going And he could play the most despicable man I've ever seen, or he could just play your dad. And either way, I'm like, hmm, comfort, good. It's just, but it doesn't distract from the movie. I'm not like the meme. I'm not like pointing at him, you know? I'm just like, hmm, this is good. A comforting presence for me. Yeah. Chicken noodle soup for the soul. He is just kind of there. You said that he could play anyone evil. and I've never seen him play anyone who wasn't just like the genuine, most positive person on screen. Isn't he like a, he plays a couple like double crosser kind of guys, right? Isn't his Marvel character, like, kind of treacherous? No, he's treacherous for good. Yeah. I feel pretty confident he's played a bad guy at some point in his career. I believe you. If only just a bad guy because he's the man, you know? Yeah. Like, he's part of the system. I just only associate him with playing Agent whatever on Marvel. Yeah, what is his? Carter? No, Carter is Peggy. Coulson! Yeah, Agent Coulson. <laughs> there we go. I got it. You're welcome, Clark Gregg. I love you. Yeah. I'm sure there are, like, Clark Gregg fan accounts on the internet. There definitely anyway. are. People go so hard for Marvel. People went really hard for Coulson. He was, like, a niche subset. If Tumblr was still a thing, you know? I mean, I know that it technically is still a thing, but... Interestingly, Evan Rachel Wood, famous for She's All That, was originally offered the role of Jill, but she turned it down because she was too busy. And Camilla Bell also almost turned it down because she hates horror movies. But the director <laughs> told her that it was going to be more of a psychological thriller and so therefore convinced her to do the movie. That's so on brand. That's every 
scary movie I've ever wanted to watch. My friends have been like, it's more of a psychological thriller. It's not actually scary, Elizabeth. What I thought was funny is that to be this character, she had to do weight training and learn how to run. What? And she barely runs in the movie. In the very beginning, she is like running on a track and that's basically all the running she does. Oh my God, I totally forgot about that because it's literally just the opening scene and then it never becomes relevant again. Yes, I was so upset about that by the end of the movie. I was like, so what was the running for? Like if she didn't need to run from anything. There is so much about this movie that could make it a better movie like all the seeds are there and they simply never germinate the whole opening act of this was just Chekhov's everything and then none of it ever goes off so I guess it's not Chekhov's anything yes like okay we gotta talk about the house later when we get through our production notes but yes so just stay tuned for Chekhov's everything and (laughs) yeah the score is by James Dooley and it was produced by John Davis Wick Godfrey and Ken Lemberger it took 15 million dollars to make this movie I could have made this with $20 and my iPhone 5, (laughs) but that's okay. Very mean of you to say. It was distributed by Screen Gems through Sony Pictures releasing. And what I think is very funny is that for the marketing promotion of this movie on AOL Instant Messenger, they ran ads beckoning users to instant message Jill. And then they would make small talk and she would ultimately panic and start telling them that she had received calls from a stranger. (laughs) And then she gives you the number and you call and they tell you about the movie. That's so wild. That's borderline abuse. Like, I'm not even really sure what to do with that. Very funny. They also made a MySpace profile for Jill, which (laughs) which posted pictures promoting the film. And people could add it as a friend. And I just think, isn't that so 2006 of this movie? To have both an, an AOL Messenger account and a MySpace profile. Definitely. That's very, very silly. Yeah. So I just think that helps to date it a little bit. So those letterbox reviews that were like, I simply would not pick up the phone. It was a different era. It was a different age, which I would like to talk about further down. Yeah. So you're a very basic plot. And I immediately have problems with this. But far away from the site of a gruesome murder, a teenager named Jill Johnson arrives at a luxurious home for a babysitting job. With the children fast asleep, she settles in for what she expects to be an ordinary evening. Soon, the ringing of a phone and the frightening words of a sadistic caller turn Jill's routine experience into a night of terror. And I have to say, immediately, that's a great setup. But why was the first murder included? You know, why the first like two or three minutes of this movie, weird kind of like criminal minds set up shots of a different murder is not connected. We have no idea why it, I don't know, it just maybe sets the scene for weirdness. I think that this was an attempt at giving the antagonist, the murderer, motive. Mm -hmm. But you're right that we like never see that developed and we don't like ever come to understand him, which I think is part of we talked about this kind of with the quiet ones, like part of something being scary is something being like unknown or undiscovered. But I think that this movie would have really been improved with just like a little bit of, I don't want to call it world building, but like discussion of motive, like development of the antagonist a little bit because like he's just a scary guy, but he's not even like a scary guy. It's just like stranger figure, but not even in like, I don't know. He's not mysterious enough to be like an adequate stranger and he's too mysterious to be like a well-developed villain. I agree. And I think that's what the original movie does better. Is it actually yeah. like you meet the villain well, for more than 30 seconds? Radical. I think know. about that. 
this movie did pretty well in the box office. It made $67.1 million off of that budget of 15, but it did not do well critically at all. And that is the reason I think that they did not get a sequel. Although that has never stopped someone before. It has a 27 on Metacritic with a user score of 5.9, which is wildly high for the Metacritic users. Yeah. It has a 2.4 out of 5 on Letterboxd. And it has a 9% on the Rotten Tomatoes Tomato Meter, which I think wow. is our lowest rated Rotten yeah. Tomatoes Tomato Meter score. Right I think we've gotten a 10 the host. before. Which was a fine movie, by the way. It was a fine movie, yeah. This deserves all 9% of that. And the Rotten Tomatoes audience gave it a 44%. Kings. The critic consensus of Rotten Tomatoes reads, When a Stranger Calls ranks among the more misguided remakes in horror history, offering little more than a rote, largely fright-free update to the original. As someone who gets scared easily, I'll just say it wasn't fright-free for me, but (laughs) that's okay. I'm a wimp, so... I... I'm the most afraid girl in the entire world. Famously, I think that It's Tough to Be a Bug is the scariest ride in all of Disney World. It's tough to be a bug. I thought this movie was a little scary in that when I was going to bed, I was like, let me make extra sure that I locked all my windows. But I wouldn't say that this movie was scary at all. It wasn't that scary. It was certainly not the scariest movie that I've ever seen, but it was tense yeah. for a little bit there, you know? I was like, is Jill going to make it out? Good for Jill. I think part of the reason that this is scary, I mean, it's like, other than being based on the original movie, it's based on like the idea of babysitter and the man upstairs, you know, like a, a folktale. I'm not familiar with this folktale. Whenever I am in the house alone, I'm also always like, oh my God, something's making a noise. There's a man in here with me. Interesting how it's always a man. Let's it is always a man. The whole movie, I think I was mostly like, because she opens so many doors and then closes so many doors. And the whole time I was like, there's going to be a man behind that door when she closes it. And then only once was there a man. Actually, never was there There a never man was. There were so many like fake outs, you know? There was the ice machine that was making noises and that scared her. And honestly, scares me too. One of my parents' ice machine makes really loud noises. And the cat also. This is a classic horror movie thing. The cat was a fake out scare a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I... Don't know how to feel about the fake out scare as it is used in this movie because I think that all of the like fake out scares made any real tension less impactful. I feel like the purpose of a fake out scare is you're ramping up and you like know something bad and scary is going to happen. And then it's not something bad or scary. It was, you know, just like the cat. But then immediately after that, something has to happen. Otherwise, you're on guard for the next thing. And I don't really remember any part of this movie where it was like a one-two punch. It was always just like, and then later it was actually him. Yeah. For a movie that the only advantage of making it longer was to build more tension, they sure cut the tension an awful lot with fake out scares, like the ice machine and the cat and her closing doors and him not being there. Imagine... I'm just really still on the fact that this is a remake of 20 minutes of another movie. Like, imagine this happening in literally any other genre. I'm going to think of a really excellent example, and then it's going to be really funny for all of you guys at home. But I will say that the first 23 minutes of When a Stranger Calls, the 1976 version, are allegedly, according to Wikipedia, the scariest opening to any horror movie. I don't know who is saying that, but it's a pretty famous movie, mostly because it is like one of the first movies... It's not the first because that was Black Christmas, but it's one of the first movies to popularize the we've traced the call. It's coming from inside the house. That quote, you know, that people quote all the time. Yeah, that's so wild. I'm trying to think of a popular like 10 minute long stretch of movie, but literally all I can think of is the car chase from (laughs) Bullet. 
But can you imagine if you made an 87 minute long car chase? You know no that movie would sell tickets. You know that movie would sell tickets if it was it's just a car Fast 11. They'll be streaming in a theater near you. Just know that I'm going to direct the 87 minute long bullet chase scene. And I'm somehow going to make it get radically feminist and anti-colonial. And it's going to be a complete crazy retelling. And you're going to think, wow, that car really taught me a lot. And you didn't even have to watch the 10 minute long original one. But it has to be 87 minutes long with realism. So we'll have to stop for gas. There will be no dialogue, of course, because there's no dialogue in the real one. That's what makes it so real. (laughs) That's what makes it so real is that it's just car noises for 10 minutes. And then just like my car today, maybe they'll experience some car trouble and there will be some clattering and we'll have to pull over to the side of the road. And then maybe you'll get dialogue, but it'll be muffled through the... It's all from the point of view of the car, actually. That's what people are talking about in Bullet is that it's really radical because it gives you the car's perspective, which is unique. We don't often think about the car's perspective in action movies. Okay. I don't know if you've heard of this thing called cars. No, that's different. That's completely different. Those are anthropomorphized cars. They live in an alternate reality. What about Herbie Fully Loaded? Actually, I'm pretty sure that also takes place in a different universe. Also, controversial take, I don't think Herbie Fully Loaded is from Herbie's point of view. I think Herbie is spectacle in that film. And that I've never seen Herbie are Fully Loaded. The outsiders looking in. We don't really understand yeah. Herbie in that movie. But my bullet remake, we're going to understand the car, which is unnamed tragically actually probably does have a name and i just don't know it okay (laughs) my extended bullet bit is over well i think it's time to discuss this movie forthright dust off that analysis cap alexandra maybe time to shed a little bit more light on the plot not that any of it matters because the plot is babysitter in house also man in house scary yeah but jill is dating this guy maybe dating this guy bobby and so she gives the number out to him and she gives the number out to her two friends scarlet and Kimberly or whatever her name is. And so she has like reason to expect calls. That is one of the reasons why she keeps picking up is that she has reason to expect calls from people she wants to talk to. And so she arrives at this house, Dr. Mandrakis's house, to babysit the kids. She is told, don't look at the kids. They're recovering from the flu. Just let them be asleep. To which I would say, then why am I I was really (laughs) excited. Wait, we have to talk about that too. Because I was really excited. I was hoping that there would be no kids. And that would be kind of crazy. I also want to know why there are two whole ass other adults that could have been watching these kids. They have a live-in nanny, Literally. which I understand that she needs some time off and that that is what babysitters are for. And that's fine. But like she was there and also their adult son from like Dr. Mandrakis's previous marriage was also allegedly home. And they were like, oh, he's flaky. We never know if he's home or not. But I'm like, surely you could have walked across the trail or whatever and been like, or asked him to hey, be there. can you watch these kids? Why are you paying this 16-year-old to sit in your like super nice house and not talk to your kids? This is the weirdest plot I have ever Like, I just truly do not understand why she needed to be there in any capacity other than they felt like inviting her here. Yeah, there are two other adults. And so there is also like, there's a couple of fake outs. Like, well, one, the boy is never there. His light goes on a couple of times because they have motion activated lights, which is another of those Chekhov's anythings that never become actually relevant other than to be scary. Yeah, there's like two whole other people anyway. So she's sitting there in the living room, just kind of doing her homework or hanging out. We know what babysitters do when they're not looking at the kids, regular teenage girl stuff. And then she starts getting calls from this man who originally just breathes and then hangs up. 
And then he starts asking her things like, have you checked the children? Weird question. And then hangs up. And she gets a little scared and she thinks she's being pranked by Bobby, who, of course, is the most awful person ever. And then he asks her, why haven't you checked the children? Classic. She hadn't checked the children when asked. She calls the police after one of those. He calls a bunch of times, an unreasonable number of times. It could have been fewer. He calls her like every 15 minutes or something. Yeah. Not of the movie, but in movie time. She calls the police and is like, some dude's calling me and they're like, what are we supposed to do about it? He's not threatening you, is he? And she's like, nobody can see me. And so they say, okay, next time he calls, try and keep him on the phone for a minute. And I'm like, no way to take 60 seconds to trace a call. Surely you can do it faster it than that. It does actually take 60 seconds to track a call. And I know that because one time you gave your phone to a stranger. <laughs> and then I was like, some rando is going to track your phone. And you were like, that's not true. You need to be on the phone for a certain amount of time, right? And I said, yeah. And then I Googled it and it was 60 seconds. Wow, I'm such an idiot. <laughs> we did not get human trafficked. <laughs> yeah, we were, we, a little, we were a little sketched out on that one. But that's okay. You live and you learn. Yeah, so it does actually take 60 seconds to track a call, to my knowledge. At least that's what Google says. So if anyone is going to fact check us, you should know that we tried to fact check first. Yes, but the police are useless in that they definitely should have responded to a minor's request for them to come out and check on things. You know what I'm saying? Like, surely it wasn't a busy day. She, on the other hand, A-plus babysitter. This girl, she was hitting all of the checklists. Something was afoot. Mm -hmm. She called the police she called the parents. She called the restaurant that the parents were at. She called both of their cell phones. She called the guest house's phone that was college age guy that was supposed to be there. She called Rosa. Like, I think she's a living nanny. Yeah. She called her and she called her cell phone. I was like, this girl knows what is up. She is hitting all of the emergency points of contact. I am so yes. proud of her. Absolutely. She was not afraid of notably, the phone. Notably, Rosa did not pick up because Rosa was dead. Rosa had been he murdered. Kill Rosa. As had another girl who had shown up, Tiffany. Kimberly, who showed up. Tiffany, sorry, sorry. Tiffany had showed up only to be murdered. So yeah, Jill was walking around finding dead bodies towards the end there. The dead body discoveries were scary. Yeah, they were. Yeah, one of them, she walks in to see the shower on, turns the shower off, turns around and sees Tiffany's dead body being lit up by the blue light of her cell phone ringing. That was scary. Good lighting. I thought very effective. Yeah. And then the other one, she finds Rose's body underwater in their pond when she is hiding from the killer. And that was also both of those were kind of jump scares because they were like, oh, my God, a body. The long and the short of it is that she does eventually get the killer on the phone for 60 seconds. The police then call her back immediately and they're like, we've traced the call. It's coming from inside the house. And then she goes upstairs to check the children. Finally, after having been asked to like 30 times, she checks the children the first time when he says, have you checked the children? And then he calls her back. He says something else about how she went upstairs oh yeah 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 but she does check the children and i know that because i thought it was fucking whack that they have that huge ass house and those kids sleep in the same room what is that about i thought that was whack. that's so weird convenient for the camera is what it is yeah anyway the last time that she goes up to check the children she doesn't see them and she finds them like hiding in a crate she takes them out because they know to hide these kids are smart aren't they hiding in the fireplace no, at first they're hiding in like a chest in okay. a different room of their. Of oh, their you're bedroom. right. You're right. You're and then right. she looks up into the rafters and sees him, the stranger. And then she runs away with the kids and they almost make it out of the house. And the chase part. That's okay. This, honestly, me. this is making me scared talking about on this podcast, but did not make me scared while we were watching it, which proves that the premise is solid. Just the execution is the wrong part. Basically, in the course of the chase, she runs into this part of their house that is a glass-walled 
jungle basically that has like the grocery store yeah fountains. it's giving grocery store sprinklers it's like a giant terrarium it has like canaries and a koi pond and yeah. different tropical plants that need to be misted at certain intervals so she hides in there then he slams on the glass behind her he enters when the fog is going because she smartly turns the fog on to hide when he gets in there the kids dip because he really just wants her and then she like gets into the water and that's when she finds rosa and then they're kind of tussling. He's trying to get her out of the water and she's trying to hide for a little bit. And then she runs out and he pulls her hair and he like rips her hair yeah. out of her head. And then she is running around the house trying to find the kids because the kids have not left the, the building. The kids couldn't leave. Probably because they couldn't unlock the door. Yeah, they, they can't reach, reach the latch because they're two baby hot little idiots. And yeah. so she's trying to help them get out of the house. So that's when they're hiding in the fireplace. The remote start fireplace. Dumb. I was like, that's going to cook them kids. I thought that too. Then she finally gathers the kids and is running towards the door, kicks the kids out of the house, and then he, like, slams the door closed and, like, drags her back into the house. Basically, that's the movie over. The police arrive. No, no, no. That's not the movie over. He drags her back into the house and they have one final fight. And then this final fight, we get a couple things that were actually Chekhov's guns in the beginning, but you didn't know because everything was potentially a Chekhov's gun. They're fighting and he gets her and he's got her on the floor and he's, like, choking her. And she picks up a bottle of tequila that her friend was previously trying to peer pressure her into underage drinking. And she throws it. And you think she's trying to hit him, but she hits the fireplace. And you're like, oh, you stupid girl. You can't even hit that man with a bottle of tequila. And then she gets the remote for the remote start fireplace that Alexandra mentioned earlier. And she pushes the button and it explodes because all that tequila was all over the fireplace. And the man is like, ah, I'm scared. I'm burned. And then she picks up the fire stoker and she stabs him through the hand with the fire stoker and runs out of the house into the arms of the police who have magically decided to give a shit now that the call is coming from inside the house and then we find out that the cop is the man that plays pam's fiance in the first season of the office fuck that guy a cab all right movie over (laughs) wow okay i didn't know that anyway yes i do okay thank you for saying that because i actually remember thinking holy shit (laughs) the princess bride in the last five seconds of this movie Yeah, so that is it. She is then given a shock blanket and he is escorted to hopefully jail. And then you get that weird trippy dream where she has a PTSD dream. Oh, yeah. That's probably the setup for the sequel. She's in the hospital and she has a little dream where he's calling her. and Which, frankly, I thought was maybe the best part of the whole movie. The part where, like, you realize that even though she has successfully evaded this killer, she will be haunted by PTSD for the rest of her life. Thanks a lot, men, and also patriarchy and trauma. Mm -hmm. Which is relevant for what would have been the sequel and the second half of the original movie. When I read that in your notes, I was like, oh, this makes a lot of sense since these were the parts I liked about it and thought would be better if expanded. So there you go. That is what happens. A stranger calls and it goes. A stranger calls, Jill answers. Tagline. I feel like it is worth discussing the house design here, just because like when we were running through that, you may have noticed a bunch of things that we said that sounded like super rich people things, like (laughs) having a remote start fireplace or motion activated lights or two landlines. This house is honestly, first of all, who built it? It is in the middle of nowhere. It is so far away. It's like on this lake and it's like probably 30 minutes from her house. the house in Twilight, but also the house in Every Breath You Take, throwback to Sam's season, last season, you might remember it as. Yes, it is. So I guess. It's like hyper modern. Yeah, and it's like all window, you know, scary. Mm -hmm. Which is why she thinks she's being watched from outside. Very easy for strangers to watch you. Literally so much of the house's design, I was like, that's going to be a plot element. Like the remote start fireplace, which actually was. 
but also like there's a whole bunch of cake stands. There's like 50 cake stands in their kitchen. And I was like, are these decoration or are they going to be shattered over someone's head later? She this also never like happened. the TV is super broke. loud and she turns on the TV, but never comes back around. Also, their stairs are floating stairs, which famously in horror movies are easy to grab oh, someone's yeah. feet through. This never happened. The whole time I was staring at those stairs, I was like, mm, that's freaking me out because I personally hate those kinds of stairs because I'm like, someone's going to touch you my know, feet. My mom recently said about someone, he's the kind of dad that would paint the back of the stairs. I had never thought about what a great insult slash compliment, depending on who you are, that is. And I just think that's really funny. He's the kind of dad that would paint the back of the stairs, but it's not really for floating stairs. It's for the stairs that have like a, like the, the only time you would ever see the back of the stairs is if you're like going to the basement kind of thing, you know? Anyway, Mm -hmm. I just, that was silly. I was not a fan of the floating stairs. That was one of the scarier parts of the movie for me, was anticipating someone grabbing That's her so feet funny. the stairs. My dog wouldn't go up floating stairs because they don't look like they're real stairs. They don't. They don't. Also, the house itself was hyper modern, but also all of the furniture was super sinister looking. Evil. Also very modern, like sharp edges. Not what did the well house in the first one look like? Just a regular Pretty ass normal. house? Pretty normal. It looked like Slay. my parents' house. Yeah, a regular ass house. Also, he was not in the ceiling. In the first movie, it was like a regular ceiling instead of having like huge rafters. I didn't even so. see the part where he was in the ceiling yeah. in the, this one. I am glad I missed that. I was like, ah, he's in the ceiling. That's creepy. Man, I watched this during the day yeah. so I wouldn't be scared, but I didn't think about recording this at night. Oh, well. I'll just watch some brain cleaning yeah. later. I think, honestly, that so many of the set pieces were really interesting. Like they had a lot of statues that were like man-shaped. And I was like, oh my God, one of these days it's going to be a the man and a statue. One. But they didn't use any of them. Yeah. Those statues freaked me out. I didn't like them. Yeah. I did not care for the one at the top of the stairs in particular. Yeah. That one was the scariest one for sure. This is why I don't like art museums. You're all over here like, art museums are so fun. We should go to an art museum, Elizabeth. No. Shit is creepy. Stuff that is too still freaks me out. Speaking of art, they had a whack amount of abstract art, which is another Yeah, that's rich, rich person, person coded. Nobody has that much abstract art unless you have like a million dollars. I will say, I think this was a classic thriller. Even the front credits, I was like, wow, they're fading in and out. This is just like in Monster House. Every establishing shot in this was giving supernatural establishing shot so hard. It reeked of 2006. Yeah, it felt like watching a Criminal Minds episode. The whole time I was like, wow, the jump cuts. Which I guess like, <laughs> like the I whole guess time. answers the like, why did this movie get made question is stuff like that was really popular. <laughs> yeah, Supernatural. Criminal Minds, The Mm X-Files. Yeah, all very popular. I do think most of the choices that were made camera-wise just kind of fit in the thriller genre. Like a couple of times when she's on the phone, the shot is like super far away. I was like, wow, it's like someone's watching her. Almost like (laughs) a stranger. Oh my gosh, that's so crazy. You know, I feel like honestly, people who watch horror movies might be some of the better people at dissecting films because they always know exactly what's happening. But because horror movies use the same tools every single time. Yeah, that's true. Horror is like a really good like entry genre. Horror is a good way to understand genre for that reason. Like there are so many like tropes and horror cross references itself a lot. It makes nods to other horror movies pretty frequently. Yeah. Like the red balloon at the beginning and end of this movie, kind of a reference to it. And like his outfit is very Michael Myers. Also Scream, one of the more famous horror movies references the original When a Stranger Calls and the first Scream. 
Fun fact: I don't think that any movies have referenced this particular. Well, why would they when they could just reference calls? When a stranger calls, or they? the first twenty minutes of when a stranger calls, instead of referencing this eighty-seven-minute-long reference to the twenty minutes of when a stranger calls that people remember. Yeah, I think also one thing that I did like about this movie a lot is that it hid the killer's face until the very end, so he was just kind of like a faceless, scary dude. And that set us up nicely for the sequel in that we were supposed to see his face probably a lot more in the sequel. That's fair. I hated that part. I guess I felt mixed about it because on one hand, I'm like, okay, I get that he's like a faceless threat. Like we're not really afraid of who is attacking her. We're afraid that someone is attacking her. But at the same time, as an audience member to purposely disguise his face for so long makes me want the reveal to be like there for a reason. When you finally see his face, I want it to be someone that we like saw earlier in the movie or like we recognize from some other thing. I felt like not showing his face was an interesting artistic choice, but was really dissatisfying as a viewer. That's fair. Probably it made it a lot easier for the stunt doubles. Yes, probably. <laughs> Honestly, why'd they even cast one guy to do it? They could have just put whoever, they could have just thrown whoever in there. I also think that could have been really interesting to have like a bunch of differently shaped people in every scene. So that it's kind of like this weird, ambiguous, like we can't get a good read on him. How tall is he? How long is he? All of these things. That could have been very interesting. That could have been interesting. But no. Instead, we got playing more on the fear silhouette just this dude. of Tim Robinson. Honestly, how funny would it be if at the end of this movie, when you see his face, it was just Tim Robinson? <laughs> was Tim Robinson even big in 2006? No, I'm pretty possibly sure Tim Robinson him. was like 18 in 2006. <laughs> Let's Google how old Tim Robinson is. He was born in 1981. He is 42 years old. He wasn't even like in show business until 2011. Oh, wait. He got married in 2006. Crazy. Great year for Tim Robinson. Now I really want to think of like an excellent I think you should leave bit where the punchline is like the call is coming from inside the house. Anyway, I'll think about it. No, but I'm sure that I could write one because I'm hilarious. I'll send it to him. I'll pitch it to him and I'll say, dear Tim, has anyone ever told you this? Nice. Get a writer credit. I will. In addition to being a very like traditional thriller movie in that all of the things looked like a traditional thriller movie, it was also a traditional teenage girl movie. In Hell that, yeah, like, it was. The trio was blonde, brunette, and person of color. The person of color being Tessa Thompson and yeah. the brunette being Jill. And of course, the blonde and the brunette were fighting because they can't be friends. Yep. People just randomly appear places. Another classic teen movie thing. People can just walk into your house even though the doors are locked and it is alarmed. Yeah. Notably convenient for the killer. (laughs) Yeah, I guess. Yeah, that's the other thing is we never found out like how he got around all those systems and stuff. It just made made me very unsatisfied. Yeah. I mean, she turns off the alarm system for like a solid hour, but he was already in the house at that point. She turns off the alarm for an hour? Yeah, she turns off the alarm at some point. I don't know. I remember her being really upset because she turned off the alarm and then she turned it back on like much later. Okay. I thought that she turned off the alarm and then immediately turned it back on because she was leaving the house to go to the guest house. She does do that. She, so she turns off the alarm like two times. I think the other time she also arms it. Okay. Well, the first time the blonde Tiffany arrives. Yeah. And I think she turns off the alarm for that. And then Tiffany comes in and is there for a couple minutes. And then she like doesn't turn the alarm back on for a a hot minute interesting choice silly silly girl yeah i watched this movie with a friend of mine who studies horror movies and they had a lot more to say about this movie than i did mostly because 
because they watch more movies like all the time and I watch them never. So I'll tell you some of what they said. Mostly it is about feminism, which I thought was interesting. Allegedly. Allegedly it's about feminism. Jury's still out. I think that might be giving this director too much credit. Oh, totally. I totally agree. This is just what they said. That first of all, the fire poker that Jill stabs the dude with at the end is initially shot very phallically in that the first time we see it, she is holding it at her waist. And it's is like there a not phallic way to shoot a fire poker? Absolutely not. Fire poker's inherently I don't think phallic. there's a, a non-phallic way to shoot literally any weapon. Okay, that's fair. What about yeah. poison? A woman's weapon. <laughs> I'm sure there's a phallic way to shoot that too. <laughs> but the point is there's a non-phallic way to shoot poison. For sure. It comes in a bowl. Girl-shaped. Girl-shaped. Poison soup. The most feminine weapon. They also said, you guys might remember that we were talking about the weird room in the middle of their house, which is like a jungle. My friend said that this offers an eco-feminist reading in that the man, the stranger, is using the technical environment to stalk her and that he is using the phone and he is harassing her with the turn on, turn off lights, etc. So he's using like technology and she's using nature. And women are typically more coded with nature, whereas men are more coded with technology. And so she like knows that he is out of the room when she sees a bird and there's a sudden stillness. So she's kind of like communing with nature and she hides in the water and things like that. And like water is a feminine element versus like, I don't know, whatever fire in which he dies. So yeah, there is a way to read this in a feminist. She gets him with nature kind of way. But I also think that like, to a certain degree, Jill is degendered at one point because, like, he yanks her hair out. Like, he literally tears out a huge clump of her hair, which must have hurt like a bitch. I could not imagine. I would I would simply fall down dead at that point. Like, someone tore my whole hair off. Yes. I feel like I really want to believe the eco-feminist reading of this. But also, no. <laughs> I can definitely see how it is sort of nature versus technology in that he is using the phone to harass her and she is using nature. But also she is using technology because she's the one who turns on the fountains and she is the one who is calling all these people, trying to get the police to trace the call, et cetera. And so I think a little bit it is maybe just this remake in particular, as opposed to the original movie, I think is a little bit technology and our reliance on it is scary in that the only way she had to protect herself was the alarm and the door lock and calling and using technology other than like hiding underwater briefly. And also like technology can fake us out a lot and a lot of the times that she was scared was just that the lights were turning on and she wasn't the one turning yeah, them on. I think this movie has a lot to say about like reliance on the technical environment and like how these things that are supposed to like make life easier for us have made us more vulnerable and more yeah. defenseless. That is important, which I guess also all of those things, vulnerability and defenselessness are stereotypically feminine traits. So maybe I have come full circle and I have come around to a feminist reading of When a Stranger Calls. I think also like I like what you said about the things that we rely on for safety also make us vulnerable because like we said earlier when we were doing the plot description like the kids are locked into the house because they can't reach the door latch at the Mm -hmm. top of the door and so that's kind of like a they are made vulnerable by their height and women are typically shorter not that like that's a thing because Jill is the one who made the door lock in the first place. Yeah I do think that there is some gender here because I think that this is not a deeply sexual movie but there's definitely sex in it in that like when she says what do you want from me and he says your blood all over me that's a kink that's scary and i'm shaming it first it's very scary first of all how is he going to get all of her blood all over him disgusting it's very gross but it also it does feel very like like a sex thing and maybe it's just because i've seen too much criminal minds but 
totally understand and support the sentiments that you are voicing, but it's just the judgment with which you said, it's gross, (laughs) was a lot for me. But anyway, yes, it is yucky. And we on this podcast do not condone covering oneself in the blood of humans. Yeah, or murder murder general. Just let that be This is a legal disclaimer. No one on this podcast is telling you to murder any other people. Even when I say I would yeah. eat Dave Portnoy first when we eat the rich. In that scenario, he's already dead. One thing I wanted to ask you a little bit on the topic of sex is, do you think at the end when he and Jill are having their final battle, does that look like attempted sexual assault to you? Because he is like holding her down and like spreading her legs. And I don't think that he is trying to assault her because I think he's trying to murder her. But it just looks a lot like that. And I wanted to run that one by you. This is a great question. I don't know. I don't want to say that I don't think that it's intended sexual assault. I think that it looks like intended sexual assault because sexual assault is also about power and defenselessness. And I don't think the intention is sexual assault. I think the intention is to murder her. His motives are unclear. And so like there might be an inherently sexual motivation behind the murdering, perhaps to cover himself in her blood or perhaps to Mm -hmm. just like, you know, any other terrible, awful thing that you could think of her name. I feel like in a way it almost doesn't matter, but like what you are pointing out, like the positioning of bodies and like the choreography of that scene is supposed to communicate perhaps patriarchal control, but more like just control and defenselessness in general, like being like physically on top of someone and like he's kind Mm -hmm. of like choking her and choking them, like holding her down in a way that could be read as like vaguely sexual and definitely unconsensual. Something I want to add to like further suggest that it might be sexual assault in this movie is that in the original movie, in the first 23 minutes, which this movie is based on, when Jill arrives in the house, the kids are already dead. The kids are dead? That's what you find out, is that the kids died. He killed them. They have been dead for hours by the time Oh my he god, that downstairs. freaked me out. I don't like that. In this movie, the kids are alive the entire time and survive the movie. We see them leave. They are fine. But in the original movie, the killer kills the kids and is calling her because he wants her to come up, see the dead bodies, and then kill her. That's so scary. And so that's why in this movie, I think a little bit that the killer is not killing the kids because he wants Jill. Whereas in the original movie, it is more of a I'm here to kill everyone in the house kind of a situation. Oh my god, I'm so freaked out right now. That's so fucked up. Okay. Yeah. Oh my god. Scary. Yeah. You'll notice this is why I texted you that the first movie was way scarier. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Okay, I'm so strong and brave. I think that change is interesting to me, that the kids survive. In the first movie, I don't want to know how he killed the kids, but like, is the killer someone the kids knew? No. It's just a rando in the first movie too? It's just a rando. It's a stranger. Yeah. They actually like give him a backstory. Not really backstory, but they like, because the second half of the movie is mostly his story. I hate that. What he is, is a, a British merchant seaman who has been in the country for like two weeks and he pulls up, kills these people. He is put in an insane asylum because he is found mentally unstable rather than yeah. guilty. He escapes from that asylum seven years later and that's when he goes back after Jill and another woman. Okay, we can't talk about this anymore. I'm like literally so freaked out. <laughs> okay. All right. I watched that movie at like noon. <laughs> I'm scared. That's really scary. And I... Wow, that's really, really, really scary. Okay, well, good job. 
hats off to the original creators of when a stranger calls right but my question is do you think that that makes it feel more like attempted sexual assault in this remake that's why i told you this background yes and no because he kills i mean he kills tiffany and rosa who are also like both women who he plausibly could have sexually assaulted but i think that weakens the like yeah he's looking for jill argument of it maybe it strengthens the sexual Mm -hmm. assault angle i don't know maybe it makes it more of like a psychological thriller and less of like a horror movie if that makes sense i feel like you're right well no what i'm trying to say is that the kids living doesn't inherently make the action read sexual to me or like sexual intent but it does provide good evidence if there was other evidence does that make sense yeah, I'd get, I get what you're saying. I'd buy the read, but I wouldn't jump to it myself. I agree. I don't think that there's enough. Yeah. I don't think that there's enough there because we barely interacted yeah. with the stranger. But it just, it like framing wise looks like oh that gosh, to me. Oh my gosh, this is going to haunt me. This is going to really freak me out. Ugh, ridiculous. Yeah. The stranger does die at the end Thank of the goodness. original one. He does not die in this one. Only half the movie. Yeah, I guess on that yeah. very scary note, I don't have a whole lot more to say about this movie, mostly because I thought that it was terrible. It's pretty shitty. Tessa did fine for the whole two minutes she was in the movie. She looked super young, which I thought was funny. I don't think I've ever seen her this young, probably because this is her first movie. So obviously I've never seen her younger than this. Yeah, she had like, I thought her hair looked great. She was being a pretty good friend and that she was gatekeeping her friend's number and like telling her to dump the guy. I think Tessa did a good job. I thought she did a pretty good job, but she wasn't around a lot in the movie for this reason. I'm going to start really low, and I think that that might be kind of mean of me, but I don't really care. I'm going to give it a 2.5, nope, a 2, a solid 2 stars, Tessa's performance, just because I feel like you can't, we can't start too high, because we've got 36 more movies or whatever. Hell yeah. And I also feel like I can't accurately assess someone's, maybe I'll give her 2.5, because that's 50 neutral. Yeah, 2.5. I totally agree. I think that Tessa's somewhere in the 2 to 2.5 stars for me just because, like, there's not a lot to yeah. assess here. Her character seems fine to me. She did, you know, fine. But she also did teen movie yeah. acting, which is never never five stars. Yeah. I think the movie as a whole, also somewhere in the 2 to 2.5 star range for me. Mostly in that I didn't hate it, but I didn't like it either. I gave this movie one and a half stars. <laughs> okay. So low. Well, there's a reason. I also gave Every Breath You Take one and a half star. Originally, I gave this movie two stars as soon as it was over. And then I thought about it and I thought, I gave Every Breath You Take one and a half stars. There was more going on in every capacity with that movie than with this movie. So I feel like I had to give it one and a half stars because I felt truly the same about it in terms of liking it. And also now discussing it, I just feel like there were so many more things that this movie could have done if it tried to be like a... Because I understand that, like, by 2006, so much had changed about communication, but, like, so much was still scary about, like, privacy and security and all these things that we were talking about. But I just feel like they could have done, like, a whole movie remake and really radically changed the end, like, after the first 20 minutes. And that would have made, like, a more compelling Mm -hmm. story and remake than to just make a movie that was the first 20 minutes. And I understand they had plans for a sequel, but I feel like that's silly. No, I totally agree. I think that it would have been a much more compelling movie if they had just remade the one movie rather than part of the movie. So for that reason, one and a half stars. And I think part of the reason for that for me is that almost all of the social commentary in the 1976 movie is in the parts they didn't remake. 
And I think I would have liked to see that translated to 2006. I don't know that they would have done a good job since the movie isn't that good. I feel like the movie has the potential to be really good. There's nothing in terms of like just looking dated to us now. There's nothing technically bad about the movie that doesn't have to do with pacing. Right. So if they had just cut it down for that part to be shorter and then created like an act two, then it would have been different. Anyway, who are we? Who are we to say? I would also like to throw in our first acknowledgement of the season. Thank you to my friend Joey, who watched this movie and our next movie with me and provided some excellent horror movie analysis. All right. Well, thank you guys so much. You can follow us on Instagram at where do I know them from, where you can see what Alexandra and I are watching when we are not watching movies for this podcast. And you can also get cool, fun new updates about what movies we are going to watch next for this podcast. And I don't know, our lives in general fun cool things anniversaries for movies that we have seen or done episodes on all that kind of fun stuff just follow us on instagram because we're super cool and you love this podcast thanks you can also rate and review us on the podcast listening app of your choice to whatever your heart's content unless it is a bad review and then you can find another podcast to negatively review there are lots thanks see y'all next week